I think it was just sort of realizing it's not working the way things are. Is it the way I'm thinking? You know, am I too in my head? Am I walking into that interview thinking straight away in my head's thinking, did I shake that person's hand hard enough? Am I, am I sounding the best I can? And am I overthinking the entire process? Job hunting can be challenging at the best of times, but the economic impact of the coronavirus adds another layer of complexity to it. So how do you stay positive and optimistic when really all you want to do is lie on the couch and binge watch TV? I'm Sabina Reid and I'm a psychologist who has worked with individuals and organisations for over 25 years. Taking care of your wellbeing and being kind to yourself when you're in the job market can be hard. Proudly brought to you by Seek, this is Seek Your Mind. And in this episode, we talk to Daniel about what he's experienced over the past few months looking for work in retail and customer service in regional New South Wales. Daniel has written in for advice and we'll be discussing the letter and others across the series with a panel of experts from career coaches to meditation practitioners. Today, I'm joined by positive psychology specialist and founder of the Happiness Institute, Dr. Tim Sharp. But first, we've got the letter from Daniel. Dear Seek, I've worked in retail customer service for my whole life, but I've struggled to find a job for a while now. I'm angry and frustrated that stores I've shopped at for years have time to send me automated messages about their sales, but can't even acknowledge my application. I get so in my head when I don't hear back and am at the stage where even if I know I have the skills they want, I think, what's the point in applying? I'm worried I'll never be seen as anything more than my physical resume. Help me change my narrative and get out of my head. I'm so unhappy with it all. Yours, suffering from silence. Wow. Daniel, what jumps off the page when I listen to your story is how invisible and anonymous you feel. You feel like you start to feel invisible straight away when there's after a few days you think, did they even get my application? You know, I'm not asking for a personal response but just some sort of an automated response say yes we received your application you've got the technology to contact me four times in a week about a sale can you not at least show me the respect of at least an automated message it just feels sort of insulting in a way so there's a power imbalance and with that power imbalance you're feeling a sense of disrespect human to human it sounds like you're saying you know do you see me do you know that I'm interested do you know anything about me and do you even care yeah um, yeah that's exactly right and tell me a bit about you talk about the emotion of anger and I want to drill in on that I always think anger is an umbrella emotion and we're very quick to be able to identify anger I think a lot of us can say whether you're two or 102 I feel angry or a Mm two-year-old starts having advantage. Yes. Underneath that umbrella of anger typically sits other emotions. What do you think sits under the anger for you? I start to get in my head questioning, what what did I do? There's that guilt of what did I do wrong? What should I be working on that? They can't even give me feedback. Is there something I've done that's incorrect or there's something about me that that they don't like, that they can't be open about, even though I I don't know if that's true or not. It's just how you start to feel. Wow. Daniel, what you're describing is must be so debilitating because you're talking about actually personalising on every level, the way you look, the way you sound, what your offering is, as if the whole the reason why any of these processes haven't moved forward is because of something specifically and personally to do with you yeah and I feel like on some level I know it probably isn't me that there are a lot of people applying and looking for work at the moment 
But just when you don't even hear a word, you, you do start to get in your head about everything about you, especially when you go into one of these stores and see the person that does get the spot. So great to be joined by Dr. Tim Sharp, a.k.a. Dr. Happy. How do you think we can apply the knowledge of positive psychology when we're feeling invisible, when perhaps influences beyond our control, like an employer or an HR professional or a recruiter, doesn't even get back to us? Firstly, I'd say it's understandable to feel, you know, that rejection or that non-response even, so it's not even a rejection almost, is upsetting. It's almost is like that person saying or that organisation saying, you know, we don't really care enough about you to even respond. One thing that can help is to try and practice some empathy and understand that they're probably not trying to offend you. They're probably just busy um, and they've probably got a thousand other applications to attend to. So I suppose what I'm saying there is to try not to take it personally. It's almost certainly not meant uh, directly at you. It's almost certainly not about Daniel. It's not that he's not important or not valuable or whatever. It's something more to do with their processes and procedures and and possibly their busyness. So that's one of the things that can be important there is to try not to personalise, which is a particular type of unhelpful thinking where we take blame for everything in a way that's not necessarily valid or and certainly not helpful. And try to remember that whatever the other responses are, the only thing he can do is to focus on what he can control. And what he can control is his next response, his next application, his next attempt. And if he keeps trying for long enough, given it sounds like he's got a good history, then I'm sure something will happen in due course. Yes, I actually um, had an experience with an organisation who told me, well, two different organisations. One told me that because you're just a supermarket worker, you don't have the driver ambition for this company. And another company told me the last person we hired from your area didn't work very well, so we didn't hire people from your area. How were you able to not absorb that story as fact? The the one about being told I'm a supermarket worker and not having driver ambition, that, that really got to me because everyone takes the job that's available at the time. People are not always in a position where they can wait for the job they want. And, you know, I fell into the supermarket literally on my 18th birthday, I got the job. I was promised the world that didn't eventuate, but I stayed there because I made some great friends. I was enjoying what I was doing. It doesn't make me less of a person or that doesn't make me lacking ambition or drive. It means I was somewhere that there was paying the bills. That, that's what it was for me. It was where my money came from. It wasn't a reflection of me as a person. Or lack of a person because it also sounds like you were meeting some other drivers yes. there and that's connection and friendship. That's it. So once again, I think if I had to summarise the theme that you're tapping into here, it's you don't want to be judged. You don't want people to make assumptions based on your tenure in an organisation, the way you look, what your CV says, the way you sound. You don't want to be judged. And I think that's true of every human on the planet. We want people to see the things within us that we think are worth celebrating and we don't want people to make assumptions based on their own observations. Okay. Let's just explore for you and our listeners, what other non-Daniel factors could be at play here? Well, I do think there's always going to be people that are more qualified and more suited to jobs than me. And I don't know how many other people have applied for these positions. A big part of it for me is thinking, what have I done in the past that hasn't given me the experience, even though I've been working for so long? I'm putting my hand up to say I'm interested in the non-Daniel. Yes, okay, that sort of made it a bit about me. This is perfect. 
if there is such a thing and perfection is not real. But this is great that, you know, even when I ask the question and I'm fishing for non-Daniel factors, it was like you forced your head to a couple of non-Daniel factors and then you reverted to your default. But let me also tell you what's wrong with me. And this is what we do. We default to the narrative in our mind, the ruminating around the negatives, the guilt, the self-blame, because at the end of the day, and this is really psychology 101, what we think impacts how we feel and how we feel impacts how we behave. So if you're thinking, I'm not good enough, they don't like the way I look, they don't like the way I sound, they don't like my age, I haven't done what's required and I don't matter, how would we feel? It's not even hypothetical for you, Daniel, because you know those are the thoughts. You know, what are the feelings that would follow from those kinds of thoughts? Uh, It's just that feeling of hopelessness, helplessness, just not knowing, just that feeling of worry about the future. Is is there a future? Is there a career in my future? Do I, am I just going to stay where I am? Is this as far as I go? Tim, we do tend to come into the world with different levels, baseline levels of optimism. And we also know, of course, that we can hone and refine and increase our optimism. What are some of your tips for dialing that optimism up when you're job hunting and everything feels like it's not going your way? No matter who we are or where we're starting from, it is something, optimism is something we can build. It's something we can foster and increase and get better at, I suppose. It's like a just like any other skill, the more you practice it, the better you get, the more you master it, the more confident you get, etc. So I guess, uh, again, I say uh, to Daniel, I guess to practice mindfulness. Now, mindfulness is often misunderstood. I think it's often misused as a form of relaxation or meditation, and it can be like that. But really, um, in this context, what I'm referring to mindfulness is a form of awareness. And that's is to practice becoming more aware of your thoughts, because often we're not aware of them. They're sometimes referred to as automatic thoughts, um, which means that they're like like habits and like bad habits, we sometimes engage in them without realizing it. So through the practice of mindfulness, we can become more aware of our thinking. And that really just requires, again, practice of self-reflection, pausing every now and then and asking yourself, you know, what am I thinking? What am I saying to myself? What sorts of things are going through my mind? But then also realizing that just because you think something doesn't mean it's true um, or just because something pops into your head doesn't mean you have to accept it. The metaphor I often use, and you might have heard this before, is that if you were driving along in the car and you're listening to the radio and a song came on that you didn't like, well, you can change the channel if we're mindful of it and if we practice it. Again, it's easier said than done sometimes. But if we do that, if we, if we recognise that we have the ability to change channels, if we recognise that we don't have to accept every thought, the next step then is to ask ourselves, well, what would be a more helpful thought? What can I start saying to myself that would actually be more motivating, that would help me bounce back, that would give me the energy to to make another attempt to apply for another job? And uh, again, all of that is easier said than done. There's no doubt about it. I mean, all of us have been trapped into a vicious cycle of worry and rumination at times, but we can break out of it. And again, with, with practice, we get better at it. We can hear already some of the critical, repetitive thoughts happening for Daniel that are making him unhappy. But how does that manifest in our behaviour and how can we change it? Because there's no doubt that it impacts the way we approach job hunting and interviewing. Um, I don't think I, I act like a very happy person at all. Like if I'm out in public, I don't have a happy look on my face. I just feel like I, what's, what's, I've got nothing to be happy about anymore. I might, let's say I, I go out to the shops to go grocery shopping. I see all these people who are 
throughout the shopping centre who are, who are enjoying what they're doing, who found what they like. I don't want to make it sound like I'm bitter or jealous, but it makes you feel like, why don't I have that? And I just, I get angry. I don't see the point in putting across something I'm not, which is happy. Uh-huh. Okay, so if you're not feeling happy, if you're feeling down and, and these other things that we've talked about, the behaviour is probably one of withdrawal, mm-hmm. avoidance, maybe even shrinking. I'm looking at the behavioural piece. You know, so if I'm a fly on a wall and I'm watching you, there's no sound, there's no words, what do I see? Um, I'd say you just you see someone who tries to isolate themselves doesn't want to be around people I would say I would say there's even a change in my body language when I don't look or put myself across as confident or happy yeah yeah a lot of it would be also that separating myself from people just not feeling like I'm worth their time I don't (laughs) so you can see from the conversation we're having now the relationship between the thoughts we have the emotions we feel and then the way we behave and the bi-directional relationship between the three and how they feed each other. And you've articulated so well that that your body language changes. You withdraw from other humans and then you disconnect and so the cycle continues because then you go into a job interview or even, as you said, some of these uh, sort of automated video recordings and kind of artificial uh, processes to share who you are. And if you're feeling withdrawn and less than and your body language says that, and you believe that you don't have anything to offer and others are better off than you or have a better offering, everything that comes forward, everything that's conveyed pretty much says, don't pick me. Yes. It creates that cycle of, and then I feel worse and then it gets worse and I go into another interview and I probably come across worse again and it just sort of gets bigger and worse. We know that Daniel has been really stuck in some ruminating thoughts about essentially perhaps not being good enough, being different to other people in some way, and he's finding it really hard to get out of that cycle of negative thinking. What would your top tips be to help Daniel? Well, the first thing I'd say to Daniel is it's okay. It's okay not to be okay. You know, I think that's really important. And as a positive psychologist, I'm often saying, you know, we shouldn't expect to be and no one will be happy every minute of every day. Now, particularly at the moment with COVID and particularly in Daniel's situation with something like unemployment, uh, it's even more understandable to be experiencing some of those so-called negative emotions. I mean, it would be strange if you weren't, (laughs) if he wasn't a bit stressed or anxious or upset. So I guess that's the first thing I'd say. Uh, But at the same time, there are things we can do about it. And you asked me what sorts of tips I'd give. Um, uh, Well, I I suppose I said it's not, it's easier said than done. There's no, no sort of secrets or magics, but there are things we can do, we can start off by setting and working towards meaningful goals, for example. So however small it might be, if he can find some things that he can work towards in his in whatever time he has, you know, set some set, set something that's meaningful for him, work towards that, then the sense of achievement and satisfaction we gain from that um, can be very, very helpful. And that can sort of 
kickstart a bit of a positive cycle that can be more motivating. It's also important to take care of our physical health and well-being. And exercise, for example, is a, is a great tip, not just for our bodies, not just physically, but also mentally. So you know, exercise is a potent antidepressant, it's a stress buster, it's a mood enhancer, and also get good sleep. I mean, I think particularly at the moment, a lot of people are struggling sleeping if their routine's out of whack. Remember also that he doesn't have to do it all on his own. And I think that's particularly a, something, a mistake we all make. And dare I say it, particularly us men, I guess, you know, we try to be strong and, and that's, you know, look, if you can cope on your own, that's fine. But, but we all need help sometimes. And in fact, we all do better with help sometimes. So I guess I'd encourage him to reach out to family, to friends, if necessary, to professionals, but otherwise just to reach out, talk to other people, ask for advice. And I suppose that's the final point I make is, is start small, just do little things because from little things, big things grow. And that's how we can create a bit of positive momentum that then makes the next thing a little bit easier. When you talk about happiness, Tim, I'm interested in what that means to you because psychologist to psychologist, I have some concerns sometimes about the way we use the construct of happiness. And and it's a tricky idea that means different things to different people. What does it mean to you? I totally agree. So I actually spent a lot of my time defining it and clarifying it and busting a lot of the myths and misconceptions. So I tend to say that there's two simple ways we can understand happiness. One uh, is as one of the many positive emotions that we experience. So along with calm and contentment and satisfaction and joy, um, happiness is just one of them. It, that's a good thing, but it's also quite fleeting and it's quite, kind of superficial. So, so as a positive psychologist, although positive emotions are good and important, we need to think about much more than that. So Positive psychology is really about thriving and flourishing or living our best lives. And as I said, in addition to positive emotions, we also need to attend to and think about things like living a life of meaning and purpose, uh, connecting with others, you know, building on our strengths, practicing gratitude, all of these sorts of things, which I guess go deeper and last longer and are a bit more meaningful than those fleeting positive emotions. Where does resilience fit into this story? They're all like related concepts or constructs. But whereas happiness is um, a positive emotion or a form of living a good life and optimism is a way of thinking, I suppose, or a thinking style, resilience is the ability to bounce back from adversity or to work through challenges. So, again, it's similar. And, in fact, optimism is at the heart of resilience, really, the ability to see something better or to, to see a solution. You know, solution-focused thinking is very similar to optimism, which is very much a part of resilience. I mean, without that, you know, it's hard to make the effort. So, yeah, so resilience is about bouncing back or even bouncing forward is a term that I like, which means rather than just getting back to where you were, it means getting back to something better. Because if we can look at adversity or challenge uh, as an opportunity to learn or an opportunity to grow, then rather than just bouncing back to where we were, we can actually bounce back to somewhere better, bounce forward to a situation where we're even stronger or wiser or in some way improved. How do you think, here's a million-dollar question, you were able to go from the negative spiral, the negative self-talk, and as we've talked about, the emotions and the behaviour that follows suit, to being able to circuit break some part of that in order to show the shoe store that you have something to offer? I think a big part of it was actually having that face-to-face in-person interview. But I feel like the person you can get across face-to-face in person with somebody is much more real than the person you see on a screen. 
But I do feel from experience, I connect better in real life with people. And so I think finding out that I had that interview that was in an actual setting with another person, I think that gave me a bit more confidence going in. Mm. This is an interesting reflection and I understand the sentiment that you're sharing. What are your thoughts? I'm going to flip the question here (laughs) because you've changed something, you've shifted something and I'm always... I think it's really powerful and important to invite all of us to reflect on how we've shifted something because you've done it. So it's a great time to harness some of those reflections. So, yes, you had a face-to-face interaction, which is what you were, what you were wanting and, and when you think you shine. What else was going on? What I've done to create the shift, I think it was just sort of realising it's not working the way things are. Is it the way I'm thinking? You know, am I too in my head? Am I walking into that interview thinking straight away in my head's thinking, did I shake that person's hand hard enough? Am I, am I sounding the best I can? And am, am I overthinking the entire process? Mm-hmm. And I think this, to step back from it and sort of realise that, yeah, I, I was in my head about every aspect of the application, the interview you know, I started to realise that could be coming across in my application, in my interview, that I'm overthinking it. You know, I probably realised a bit later than I should have how, how much I'm getting in my head about it. But, um, yeah, I think it's better to have realised it eventually than to not. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, we're human. So you'll go down that path again where those stories, those thoughts and that narrative will hijack you. What will you tell yourself when that happens, whether it's a job hunt story or another story in your life? I think I just have to tell myself there's always going to be things I don't have control over, someone else's decision on who they employ. Um, the only thing I can do is create the best impression and put my best foot forward and, you know, accept that I'm not a, the only one in the race. There's thousands of people looking and just sort of understanding that, you know, it's not that I wasn't good enough. There was someone just as good and that's that's who they went with. But I liked what you just said then. It wasn't about me not being good enough. It was that someone else was good enough too. You don't need to be less for someone else to get the job. This goes right to the heart of changing our thoughts and feelings to become more optimistic about how we interpret events and circumstances. Even if we do manage to switch up our thinking now, there'll always be tough times ahead and times when you'll feel judged and when we default back to personalising the things that happen around us. But as we've heard, the good news is that we can learn optimism. And Daniel started to do it automatically, even without realising that's what he's doing. I was going through just some ideas I had about furthering where I want to be in life, in in different aspects of life. And I started um, sort of looking at other people I know and where where they are now and how how they got to where they are and just sort of accepting that you have to keep going, if, if not for anything else, just because sometimes all you have is that hope. And if you just keep trying, eventually there will be someone that that sees you as that person who's trying their best to get to where you need to be. Mm-hmm. I started looking at, um, you know, social media of other people, profiles of people and, and their journey. And I just sort of drew a lot of inspiration from the fact that it's not just me. It's, it's so many people having so much trouble that I can't give up. I can't get down that that I didn't get a spot because that went to someone else who's probably been looking longer than I have. So you have actually an update since you first wrote to us. And what is that update? I've found a part-time job with a shoe store. 
at a local shopping centre and it's um, hopefully going to lead to you know, just getting back into that retail customer service role again and just sort of working with people, which is what I've been trying to do for over two years now, get back into that daily sort of communicating with people, being around people, just sort of being part of people's days again. What do you have to offer, Daniel, that will help people shopping for shoes? I want the person who comes into the store, I want them to, to leave feeling happier than when they came in. I want to keep a smile on someone's face. If I can make someone smile, make someone laugh and change their day if they're not having a great day, make that connection with the customer. So it feels more than a transaction. It feels more a bit more personal. Which is what you've been craving in the job hunt process every step of the way. Yes. To smile, to walk away feeling better than when you arrived. No wonder that that matters to you both as a job hunting candidate but also as someone in your work and in your life. Daniel also talked to me about being very moved by an experience he had when he was feeling low, where he helped a homeless man who was asking for food. And he recognised that something about taking himself out of his own plight and his own mind and attending to the needs of a stranger helped shift how he felt about himself. It's a great example of how flipping the lens to focus outside yourself can be very positive and can help us be more optimistic. Tell us about what some of the benefits of volunteering are and thinking about others when we're struggling ourselves. And going back to the point I made earlier that that I actually spent a lot of my time busting myths about happiness and and busting misconceptions. One of them is that that happiness is just feeling good. Well, happiness is feeling good, but it's also doing good. And this is where volunteering or just being kind, being compassionate, helping others is fantastically helpful. Um, There's no doubt about it. We've got, there's a lot of research now that shows people who give, people who do good in some way or other, and volunteering is an example of that, tend to feel better and tend to be healthier. Um, There's a phenomenon referred to as the helper's high where there's been some fascinating research where if we volunteer or if we give in some way, there's a physiological reaction in the body and in the brain. There are natural hormones and neurotransmitters that are released that are are literally like a high. We, We really feel good. So that can be a fantastic way, not just to help others. I mean, obviously, volunteering is is designed in a way to help others, but also to help ourselves. One of the best ways we can boost our mood is to boost someone else's mood. So, yeah, if Daniel can find a way to volunteer, to give his time, to share his expertise, whatever he might be able to give, then hopefully th- those people will benefit, but then he'll benefit as well. And once again, if he starts to feel better, that might kickstart a Uh, like an upward positive cycle of more motivation, more inspiration that then makes a lot of the other things he's trying to do uh, a lot easier. All right, that's great advice again. And we know the power of volunteering is extraordinary. And as you say, it doesn't need to be in a formal capacity. It could be in the way of helping someone else in a moment, just like Daniel did. Daniel, I think it's really powerful what you've said. I'm so thrilled to have actually spoken to you at this juncture because... (sighs) It's helped, it's helped highlight the shift that you've had and the power of that shift. And I'm not naive enough <laughs> to think that once we've made that shift once in our life that it comes with us automatically for the rest. You know, we need to continue to practice. We need to bring that to our awareness. We need to know that our default might pull us back into yesterday's mindset. But I love that once we've had an experience like the experience you're describing, we then have the evidence to show we have got a different way of being. We have got the capacity to think, feel and act differently. And I think a combination of not personalising 
plus bringing the very obvious and natural compassion and empathy that you have, you're going to be selling more than shoes. (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) Next episode, we'll meet Lauren, who's been living in lockdown with her family while she looks for work. And I'll be joined by mindfulness teacher Tamblyn Lord to talk through how to create space and calm for yourself no matter where you are. If you're going through your own job hunting challenges, head to Seek Career Advice, where you can find lots of resources and ideas to help on the practical front of looking for work and to look after your well-being. And if you're finding this podcast particularly challenging, Beyond Blue also has a range of online resources and a support line that you can reach 24 hours a day, seven days a week on 1300 22 46 36. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, I'm Sabina Reid. And this has been Seek Your Mind, a series on well-being while job hunting, proudly brought to you by Seek.